Welcome back, everybody, and thank you again for tuning in. We have some new things coming your way, but for now, be sure to find us on all social media platforms. We're on Twitter during matches and send Premier League updates, too, but we're always down to have a chat with fans all over the globe. We're also on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and run our live shows on Twitch. Click subscribe and join the conversation when we record. And as always, let us know what you think. The beautiful game is for everyone to enjoy, so keep us posted on what you want to hear more of. Now, let's have a beer. What's up, everybody? Cheers, guys. Yo, yo, yo. Cheers and happy Thursday. Uh, Andrew is joining us from jolly old New York, uh, <laughs> where he's visiting his family um, and laying low, but uh, he's joining us virtually. Still lucky to have him. Jalen, it's, it's a Red Sox night. Andrew, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no worries. Guys, great to be here. I miss you boys. I feel like I've been here for a while, actually, now, but I'll uh, be back next week. And uh, it's good that we're able to do this no matter what, through the power of technology. So, Give us a quick 15-second uh, review of Governor's Ball. Andrew was a, a lucky spectator. <laughs> I was a <laughs> yeah. I was a, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, you of, saw Skepta? Saw Skepta. Shout out to the British folks out there. Um, I'm a big fan of Skepta, and he was a great performer. So, Yeah, he's big in the UK. Uh, and, and, yeah, Jalen working the Red Sox games tonight. It's It's Red Sox season, so... Yeah, it's yeah. tough. That's a brutal schedule. Dog days of summer, <laughs> as home, they call it. Those home there. stretches are long, uh, but we're holding it down for an episode. We got a couple things to talk about, just bouncing around in the uh, realm of world football. But first and foremost, what are we drinking? Andrew, start us off. I'll go first. I'm drinking the most boring options out of out of you two, out of all of us. I'm drinking a Corona, a Corona Extra, not a Corona Light. Corona Extra. Okay. Um, I don't know how long it's been in the fridge for, but uh, good those things last hey, forever i probably should have grabbed a lime because i had i think i had cut up limes last night Ooh. but it's all right if you want to take 10 though. seconds I, I mean i'll understand we, no, we can no, just no, talk no. about <laughs> garbage without a lime is just not the yeah same. honestly it's I'll, I'll judge that a little bit it's, but it's kind of like yeah it's kind of pathetic of me but no it's i mean you can never go wrong with the corona so they call that a, an apocalypse beer because you're right they really never go bad if you're like <laughs> in a bunker and you have a lot of them you're in you're in good shape uh Connor, that looks tasty. Yeah, this is a recommended beer um, from the kind folks at Craft Beer Cellar. I was looking for, as you guys both know, I was looking for like a log or something not heavy. Um, Kolsch. But, but also trying to move away Kolsch. from um, the smoothie sours just because I feel like I've drank too many of those. Those can uh, wage right war on the stomach and the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... This was recommended as crisp summer beer, no fruit, no nothing. It's just very light, refreshing, mm. and it is. I just took a sip, and it's like probably out wrong. of your baby cup, out of my, out of my t- t- flute glass, <laughs> your baby flute glass. Uh, it's kind of that might be one of the like crisper beers, lighter beers I've ever had, mm. and it is a Hellas Lager beer. Mm. It is a Benedictine, Benedictine, Benedictiner. Mm. Hell, and supposedly Helles means light. Yeah, or light lager. Yeah, in German, it's a super German beer. Um, 
I don't know where in Germany because the whole can is in German. But yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, it's a good one, and I, I might buy it again. Cheap too, so you know, falling on a budget. That's right. Spent too money in that, too much money in Nashville. Yeah, so. we were at uh, Countrysburg or something in Nashville. <laughs> Country what was Music it? Fest. Country Music Fest. <laughs> the Bumpkin Festival. Yeah. No, I didn't. You said it, not me. <laughs> no, it was the time, but um, yeah. Now I gotta spend too much money on beer there, so. That's not when in Nashville. Yep. Uh, I have ectogasm. Probably going to get flagged for that one. <laughs> uh, this is from Drecker Brewing Company in Fargo, North Dakota. Typically, I'm having like a bright purple or like neon green uh, colored beer out of this can, but this is an IPA and it's very good. I uh, wasn't really sure what to drink this week. Connor just sent me a big uh, screenshot of the whole, basically the whole cooler, and I, I picked one from there. So, Tristan, uh, uh, yeah. I was, I was wondering from across. The zoom i was like is that an ipa because i like the color on that beer and this is an ipa was, so. yeah <laughs> i decided decided to go ipa today i don't know i'm trying to trying to branch out a little bit and and you know have, that's the most popular type of beer so it's not like that's the one you should service the most i think that one's selling pretty hot and always will but yeah it's good it's really good that's like the staple craft beer i feel like everyone's like yeah ipa ipa, IPA. yeah absolutely well like I said, we have a couple fun, uh, interesting little niche topics to talk about. Nothing too, nothing too juicy yet, but we're still early in the window. Uh, some official business getting done this week in a really big way. Liverpool finalizing Darwin Nunez. We had known for quite some time this was going to go through. No reason to fear that it wouldn't. And uh, Klopp and his and his uh, scouting team once again look like they've they've pulled one out of their hat. I mean, it was expensive. He's he's pricey. It was expensive. What are your thoughts on uh, Darwin? I mean, I'm happy. He's talented. We obviously faced up against him in the Champions League. He's not as much of a finished product as Holland. Like, he's not as proven. Definitely more of a rising star. And his capabilities, I do think, are endless. A tenacious player, willing to run at the defense. I think he'll fit well into Klopp's pressing style. And also the ver- versatility that he brings. Yes, it appears as though he's going to be a traditional number nine. He's going to lead the line for Liverpool, but he does have that adaptability to go play wide left. And obviously, Sadio, a foot, and probably the other half of his foot are already out the door. He's already clearly stated he wants to leave. Um, it's just a matter of Liverpool getting the money they want from Bayern. So if in desperate times, if Nunez does need to play off the left side, I think he's fully capable of that, and he has the pace to get down the wing and create issues. It's a big head, it's a big head tall player to get on the end of golden whipped in balls from the likes of Trent and Robbo. So him as a player, I'm pumped. Kind of throws off it's my, a big one. My, my Jersey desires for next season. Now yeah. it's like, do I want, it's about that. Do time. I want Diaz? Diaz obviously has played in the Liverpool kit and, but Nunez would be sick. It takes also his number is not Darwin's number is like pretty gross. I don't know. It took Origi's number. 27. 27, 27 is, is not tough. a nice number. I don't know. Just because of you wore it and he was a bang average player doesn't mean it's a Liverpool god. A nice <laughs> Andrew, coming from a United fan, is this uh, Darwin Nunez signing? It hurts a little bit seeing your rivals get bolstered up. What are your What are your thoughts on this whole signing? Edge this one's going to work out. I think as an, I'm looking at it as, first as a neutral fan. I think it's exciting for the Premier League. Obviously, brings a lot of talent. Like Connor had mentioned, his tenacious, ferocious style. I'm sure he's picking up a lot of notes from Cavani and Suarez. You know, just based off their experiences in the Premier League. Obviously, Suarez was much longer. Cavani, towards the end of his career, still had an impact, but knows knows has played two seasons in the league, so he knows what it's about. Can share some of that knowledge along. As a United fan, I'm not. I'm honestly not that worried about. 
like I'm more scared of Holland in terms of like the type of caliber of striker that uh, the rivals are bringing in. Um, I, I'm I'm not fearful that much of Darwin yet. I'm sure he'll come and prove me wrong, but uh, it's it's a good signing for Liverpool. It's a good signing for the Premier League, and yeah, I, I wish we could sign a player like that. You were in the running. Um, yeah, but no, we're, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> like, like that's that's a thing. Like that. Manchester United supposedly name United and Arsenal are both at the table. As yeah, well. but I, I don't. Yeah, I don't believe that's. I don't believe that's really true. I mean, maybe it is. There is always a lot of bullshit during the transfer window. This window, especially, I've never seen such malarkey. I, everybody is linked to everybody. Literally, like I, it's hard to to determine what's actually legitimate and what's not. And eventually, you start to kind of see. But until you get the here we go, you're like, man, I, there four five also, different teams looking at these guys. Yeah. Also, that's my point as to like why I'm I'm not that like upset that that Liverpool got him because it kind of was in the cards as soon as like his name was as soon as you guys played Benfica in the Champions League and obviously he had a really good performance against both over both legs with you guys but I think as soon as that match went on I feel like Liverpool were always the first team ne- next to his name so um, yeah I don't I. I didn't really expect it to go through for United anyways, so I wasn't really that concerned yeah. or upset that he went to Liverpool. It's probably just the case of like United as a club that also needs a striker. They can afford him. They make big signings like that. Same with Arsenal, obviously desperate for a number nine. So it just puts them in the running. I don't know what the legitimacy of their offers were or even if an official was made. Um, but Nunez, he, he did come at a high price tag, so... It's seventy. Broke the, broke the record. Yeah, club record signing seventy five million euros, um, with the potential to be pushed to all the way, all the way to hundred million euros, with add ons. So seventy five is what we're paying, and twenty five million for potential add ons based on his team and individual bonuses. Um, that that will include. It's not specified anywhere publicly, but depending what trophies are won. Number of games, I think, is a big one for that. I want to say that I saw somewhere, like, he has to play upwards of 60 games for Liverpool next season. Which is a lot for a chunk. team that's yeah. pretty deep, so. Um, I don't even... Jota's still there. Firmino, I'm not sure. I think there was rumblings of Firmino leaving, but he's still there by all accounts yeah. now. So you have th- you're going in with potentially three pretty damn good strikers, one of which you just paid a massive amount of money for, which right. strangely uncharacteristic of Liverpool, not in a bad way. It's just seeing the deal go through, I was like, wow, they really, Went that's a big it. money move, right? Like they sold their soul to the devil on that one. But I mean, <laughs> I think yeah. it'll work out. So Connor, Connor. It makes sense too. Cause it's like, yeah, before I cut you off, Andrew, it's just no, like, no, no, Sadio's no, heading out yeah. the door. So that's 40, hopefully 40 mil right there. Minamino packs his bags. Ox packs is probably packing his bag. So, Right there, we're already looking at probably 60 mil. So that's yeah. covering a lot of the fee. Yes, we pay the big price tag, but similar to Van Dyke, like the money is going to be offset somewhere and the net spend isn't going to be all that crazy. I definitely think that um, that that's a good point. And I feel like you get more for Ox and Minamino combined. Minamino's so only looking like 17 mil. Like, it's all. I mean, that's a huge profit on what we paid for him. But yeah, no, definitely. You guys paid like I think like seven million. But even with those Ox, two. though, to your point, he pegs me as a guy that could go for good money, like in Italy or in Germany. Even like even if he yeah. made like a, a cross country move, I think he. 
I think he can pull it him. off. I can't see him anywhere but England because he's so English. He's, he's so all, English for sure. But his, I can see him going back well. to Southampton. Ooh, that would yeah. be a good South, move. Back to Southampton would be a move I feel like he'd make because, I mean, what is he now, 27? Yeah, I think he's aging. And he's got he's a lot not, of football left. He does, but I don't know if it's at the highest level as it was when he first signed for Liverpool when he was on fire. Um, he is. A, I think he's a good Premier League player, really proven, has a number of seasons under his belt. But, uh, but like you mentioned, like the money will be made back. And my question to you, Connor, is obviously you splashed the cash. You broke the record signing. Do you think – it is worth not. I mean, obviously he's young. He's has a he's a high caliber striker based off where he was playing. But do you envision him coming in and making an instant impact? And if so, how many goals do you see him scoring over the course of thirty eight match days in the Premier League? I think it might be like an even keel. Hoping for fifteen. Fifteen was the number I had, um, I had too. That's a good and number. Despite the price tag, the reason that I'm not thrown back in my chair completely is because I think Liverpool has shown that they're willing to pay the price, but what what's more important to the club to maintain their like peace and keep the full squad healthy is the salary. And if you look at the, in comparison to Holland, for example, or in Bappe, two strikers that Liverpool could have went and chased. Obviously we talked about, or talk to Mbappe, like as most clubs did. But those are clubs that would have offset Liverpool's balance within the salaries. Obviously, Salah asking for his wage increase. It's still uncertain whether Liverpool even wants to pay that. Nunez, yes, not quite a proven player, but he's a player that'll probably come in. He'll probably be earning, I don't know, a hundred million. No. Hundred thousand, hundred thousand a week, hundred million I always, a week. I always, I always think about it and then fuck it up. But yeah. it's it's probably going to be like a hundred thousand pounds a week, maybe a hundred and ten, maybe ninety. So that's why I'm not as thrown back or th- thrown off by the big spend on the transfer fee because I think him being a less proven player at the top level, despite his goal scoring abilities. I mean, he had. In the two seasons at Benfica, he had 48 goals in 85 matches. Obviously, his last season was the more successful one. But that's why I'm excited for him. Because hearing that and understanding that, it does take a lot of the pressure out of the situation. Like, okay, he's earning this. Now he's much more of a squad player. Yes, he came in for a high price tag, but everyone's going to be happy if he's not getting his time. He doesn't feel as though he deserves his time in comparison to we signed an Mbappe, not that that was even necessarily a possibility, but a hundred, a hundred, or that's a million pounds a week. Like that's just like the whole squad is the minute something goes wrong. There's a lot of tension that develops there. So, um, uh, yeah, really one thing I think that was very big too, that hasn't been brought up yet is the manner in which you signed Nunez, which was very quickly and very efficiently. So this could have been something I didn't, don't think anybody expected this, but it could have been a situation where this drags on and on and a number keeps constantly trying to be agreed upon stretches later into the summer. He gets less training with the team. Now it's almost as if there's no excuse for him to not be in the starting 11 come August because he'll have had a lot of time to adjust. He's probably already moved into a, some insane flat in Liverpool and he's going to get set up with training and all the physical, all that'll happen. But when training starts, he'll be there for that. He'll be there for the whole entirety of preseason. So I think that's really valuable and that's why especially right now in this window, what's getting emphasized is not only the signings being made, but how quickly they're making them and how managers, Conte included, was like, 
he had he knew guys he wanted, but he also said, let's get this done quickly so this isn't dragging through, so they're not missing training time. Let's get them integrated into the team as quickly as we can so that come August, it's not like an adjustment period or there's the first two or three games, Nunez doesn't play, and some of the fans are like, oh, I get it, but like, is still, come on. Like, or, it's yeah. just kind of a, it takes That's the wind out question. of sales. But this is my final question for you, Connor, in terms yeah. of the, the, the um, Darwin signing. But how do you think this impacts the likes of Firmino and, and Jota? I mean, Jota's a player who, when he was signed, he was instant impact. He was in the running to Jota start might be like, what the fuck, kind yeah, of. Yeah, like, bit. He, he was a player that, like, he, you thought that he would slide right in for Mane once. Mane left or like obviously Bobby he was supposed to be that player that he honestly the season that you guys signed him was Bobby's probably worst season at Liverpool and then Jota was just like impactful like key player um, in terms of just getting goals so how do you envision that impacting the rest of the squad if at all and would you even hold it against Jota to be like all right I want out because with the signing of Diaz as well like Diaz is the same position as Jota you can you can argue so obviously down Darwin's in big price tag when you have a big price tag on a player, like Tristan mentioned, no working him into the side, you get that player in and you have him, you know, try and be an impact right away. Yeah, I'm going to emphasize the salary again. Like you guys are saying, big time player paid the price tag, but this isn't Jaden Sancho. This isn't Erling Holland. Ooh. Like they're not paying that much money for True. his wage. But I think Liverpool is going to play enough games next season where there's going to be enough of a rotation. Jota surely is going to be the. Mr. FA Cup. Fourth man. I think he'll be more than Mr. FA Cup. Um, It'll come in Champions League football. Maybe Nunez is the Champions League player. Like, that could be the setup. And Jota obviously thrives in the Premier League. He's found a lot of goals, assists, whatever it might be in the Premier League. And he knows that style of play very well. So perhaps he's the guy that Klopp goes to in the Premier League. And... That's Which is kind of, a bigger physical league, and past Harry Kane, he's the best at scoring with his head, and probably the league, I would say, Jota is yeah. aerial for his size, too. So, And we signed Konate last season, and it's like, oh, where does he fit into this I'd say side? Ronaldo, but that's just me. Tr- yeah, true. Ronaldo. I'll give you, yeah. He, he's up <laughs> there, though, for, for, especially for, no, for his for size his and for how, how tall he is. Jota's, yeah. I mean, pound for pound, he's got to be the best. Yeah, um, but... I think Liverpool will play enough games next season where there will be enough rotation. Who knows if an injury pops up? Jota does. Oh, have, they will because the Jota, games will. I mean, oh yeah, World the World Cup, Cup too. So like, Jota does have. He has had muscular injuries and it hasn't plagued him by any means. But there are times where he's out for a month or so. Um, so I'm not too worried about it and having that rotation with the World Cup, everything like that. It is what it is, and I don't think he'll request out either. I don't. I think he likes where he's at so yeah i'm ex- i'm excited and for sure the, be, to your point the big games will still come even if you're playing yeah. slightly fewer games Konate so. didn't play in the premier league. he was our biggest signing last season he didn't play in the premier league much at all That's until true. the back stretch and he just played he was a consistent starter in the champions league which i think i'd be willing to hang my hat on if i were a player like i'm the go-to and one of the best teams in the world in the champion the biggest competition in the world like that's going to drive a little bit of your ego. So for sure. Yeah. And to move on, I think these are two gargantuan signings, like the twin signings of the summer mm-hmm. already. Uh, but what's managed to still not quite go under the radar in terms of great signings is Eves Basuma, who is looking like he'll be headed to London. I think right now he's actually going to do the medical today or tomorrow, and then it'll get announced shortly. But Andrew, this connects to comments that I know you wanted to talk about coming from Gary Neville. And yep. the funny thing about Yves Basuma, and he's a great signing, and we can talk about that probably after, but 
he was uh, up signing that the six teams were like, hey, where the fuck were we in this conversation? He's going for $25 million, which is a steal for a guy like that. And how good he is, Premier League experience, he's kind of got the whole midfield package. So goes for a really good option. And, and that, uh, again, I, Andrew, I feel like that, that sort of just paves a path for more United frustration. But Yeah, no, this is more of a player that I think um, catches my eye more than Darwin does. And... You, we're going to speak on. I'm going to speak upon Gary Neville's comments today on Twitter. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically mentioned how it's concerning how there's no movement um, in terms of United's transfer uh, process. There's no players being signed. Basuma most likely going to Spurs for such a cheap price tag. And we are, I think this is going to be a summer where we're spending a lot of our time on De Young and missing out on players that we honestly crucially need. Obviously, a player like De Young is vital. And it's a very good point. And fills in for Pogba, but and also can bring more of a defensive, uh, you know, capability to our side than Pogba did. So it's definitely a key player, but we need people in place to make moves elsewhere while De Jong is getting sorted out. And I kind of made this assumption, or this might be a shout. I don't know what you guys think, but I even said like, in the in a world that I might have gone for Basuma over De Jong just because it seems like De Jong doesn't even want to leave Barcelona. A, he mentioned that multiple times. B, Basuma has Premier League experience. He is capable of the number eight position, even a six if we needed him. Um, he's an engine. He can do the job De Jong. We're kind of relying on De Jong to do for such a high price tag and invest in other areas. I think center backs still never need to invest in our fullbacks. Our, our midfield and splashing the cash is not a thing we need to do right now. It, it, it draws more eyes to us when there's already so many. So I'm not saying I don't want De Jong and I, and I think Basuma is a better player. I just think that for the, the amount of money that we've spent over the course of these last four years and for the headache that these transfer sagas bring to a club, I don't think it's worth the time and money if all we sign is De Jong and maybe one other player in either a center back or fullback position. I think yeah. like, we need a revamp of the squad. Players already have already left. Some cancerous, some not. And having our efforts focused on a player that doesn't even want to be there by his words spoken in the media, I think we should not miss. We should have not missed out on a player like like Basuma because of his quality and because of his experience. Obviously, there's controversy around him as well. We've, off the we've field. Seen, we've seen controversy off the field. I don't really know too much about that, so I can't speak to it um, 100%. But I know that's a thing, and maybe that was a reason why. Um, not saying that Spurs are like a club that's signed players like that. I'm just saying that like there is controversy there, and it, it could draw bad eyes to United, and maybe they didn't want to do that, or maybe they had the opportunity and were like, no, we want De Jong. So for me, definitely missing out on a player that could execute in the midfield, and that's something that we've been missing. So yeah, I mean, I, I 100% think percent Tristan, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely envious in terms of the quality of player that you guys are getting. Um, honestly, in a midfield that doesn't even need a player like that. To be fair, if I had to, I think Hoiberg and Bentecourt are players that can get it done. And for United, we don't have a player. We don't have players that are that capable in terms of like ball control and, uh, you know, defensive uh, tackle rate and stuff like that with Hoiberg. So, yes, I'm definitely envious with with uh, Spurs' midfield. I think, Andrew, it would be difficult to assess that whole situation better than you just did. Um I mean, I loved your point about De Jong. I mean, I, I think the best case scenario that comes from De Jong right now is you sign him in one to two seasons from now because you're now so heavily linked with one another, and that's if Ten Hag is still there, which is a 
couldn't be a bigger question mark right now based on how little we know about how the team's going to look come August. But that to me is like best case out of all this is you've now just formed such a strong transfer rumor connection and they probably have been in contact with one another and there probably has been some attempted bargaining. But that's just, I mean, to your point, it's just not what you're looking for right now. I also think too, had United been more forward and trying to sign Basuma, he would have gone to United just because I think they still have a stronger like beckoning hand within European football. Basuma didn't really have a skin in the game, I think, in terms of which club he wanted to go to. It was more so he can make a big club move. He knows he's been sought after for a while by bigger clubs. There was no reason United couldn't have done that. And you you know this, but it's it's for me, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is a steal not only from the price tag, but United probably could have just paid it and got him immediately and it would have gotten done just as quickly. Arsenal was linked to him and I'm sure Arsenal would have been an enticing pick based on what's going on there. I mean, that's sort of up in the air in terms of where people think they're headed, but they have a good youth core and a coach that seems to be putting them in the right direction. So yeah, shocking. I'm super happy about it. And I think it's right now easily the third. It it would be the biggest if the other two weren't like world strikers that have been brought in now, but massive signing. And it's just it's a signing that showed Spurs have intent, but I think what it showed more are the other clubs that right now their fans are like, take fucking talk. It's uh, almost August. Like we need to get this done now, especially like I said before, getting these guys in early is becoming such an important thing. Don't no time for fitness updates, no time for working them into the squad. There's nothing fans hate more than hearing that. Once a big signing is coming is we got to work him into the squad. And so I, it's tough, tough times for United right now, but I mean, especially a Premier League player like Basuma, like you don't need to work him into the squad because he already he has plays. years of experience. Uh, and I definitely think that um, to your point of like getting the job done, getting the deals done, like United could have gotten the deal done. And even with the young, like this could have been sorted out quicker, like kind of how, you know, Liverpool had the, it sorted out with. Yeah, the water's already getting muddy with the yeah, young. It, it, it's like it, they're linked, they're not. Like, he doesn't want to leave. Like when you're when you're really honest with it, you can tell if like a girl you're talking to doesn't actually like you. Like you don't ever get like a drunk text. You don't ever get like a good morning text. Yeah. You can kind of tell when they're just not that into it, and you have to be honest with yourself. And I feel like United are not being honest with themselves. They're like, right. oh, we'll bring in De Jong, and we'll get our midfield's going to turn over. And like you've said before, now we have Hoybeer, we have Bentoncourt, we have Basuma now, three guys who could walk into the United starting lineup and completely change their midfield. Any three of them, I truly believe that they could do that based on their pedigree. So Hoiberg is my favorite, honestly. I think Hoiberg is a great midfield. I, I don't. I think Basuma is a weird sign just because I don't think you need him that much. Um, kind of agree, by the way. And and so, to me, it's like as like I said, like I'm envious just because we don't have a, we don't have a player like that. We haven't had a player like that since like maybe this is a shout, but since Matic's first season. When no, was, I like, don't think that's a shout. So like yeah, I think Basuma great for Spurs and um and you know a miss out for united overall so and gary yeah. neville's comments are 100 right we're not getting we're not getting deals done anywhere else on the pitch at the moment and it's uh it's not looking promising and i feel like this is a lot like i don't know i don't really know what to expect yeah. come the next few weeks i don't really i know there's paul torres there's uh paul torres timber timber was like look it looked like it was going through timber. I, I mean, that's, that that's got to get done. You got to get that's, timber. That he's, he's not big enough of a player where that should get done fast. Agreed. Like, yes, he's a young talent, but that should get done sooner because United are such a big club. If it was like, a, if it was really him going talked like about, any, you just yeah. sign. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, If it was him going to like Leicester or West Ham, like I'd understand if there's a longer process, but like this is Manchester United. This is 
uh, Timber, a young player who has links to the manager at United already. Yeah. Like get that over, get that deal done. Like I'm not a I'm not a business guy like that. So I'm, there's a lot of kinks to work out. But it's like come on, like you got to you have to have a better transfer policy. I think the sad thing is it doesn't take a business guy to like even see, you know, every fan is like, I just don't, none of it makes sense. Like why are, why is this not something that we're just flexing the United badge and just getting this done? I, again, I will reiterate. I think if it had come down to Spurs and United and he had to pick and both teams are paying, he would have done United. I truly believe that. I just, he's going to go play with Ronaldo. He's saying right now, oh, they didn't really show a whole lot of interest in me. He he has zero competition in midfield. (laughs) He literally again walks (laughs) into that team. I don't Hey, he has more at Spurs. He has more, like, way yeah, more. Yeah, much more now, yeah. And United creating their own headaches. Like, you offload Pogba, one of the most expensive Premier League players that you've signed at United, not only with a transfer fee, but what you pay him. And now you might bring in another guy, huge transfer fee. For, De Jong makes a shitload of money on a weekly basis at Barcelona. That's why Barcelona want to get rid of him. He's just bleeding them dry on a <laughs> weekly basis. <laughs> and... And I'm going to reiterate this too. Like we had a player like Pogba that wanted to come to United back six years ago. And now we have, and like, that was like good news, but now we're going for a player who has stated openly that he does not want to come to the club or move, or maybe not come to the club. But he doesn't want to leave Barcelona. So it's like, you know, he wants why, Champions why, League football. Why, yeah. why are we forcing for a player that clearly like doesn't seem a hundred percent bought into the United in moves, the heart so. of your team too. Like yeah. desperate for a strong midfield. United is desperate for it. And all the you now have an uncertain guy who's going to be... Signing of, the signing of De Jong would take all the eyes off the likes of Sancho and, um, like, Sancho and, you know, up top with Ronaldo. Like, because he's such... Like, the price tag would be there. Like, yeah. the, the, he's a new, fresh player. Price tag, young. Like, it should, it should work is, like, what people would look at and see and say. Could also turn around those signings too, because I, whether or not Sancho's been a flop has been of heavy debate on this podcast, and that's not the fire I'm trying to spark right now. But he could turn around those signings. He could link up really well. They're both young, very youthful, inventive, imaginative well, my, players. My, my, point, so. my point is like there'll be more eyes on this on on this type of players. So right. If it doesn't work out, it's going to look so bad. And I'm I'm a little concerned by it just because how long it's taking and the comments made. But we can move on from United if you want to get into. City. I know Andrew. One day we'll have good stuff to talk about United. Was, you can actually I was have a smile ask on your you face quickly before we move on. Yeah, we can we can do that. Um, how do you feel about playing all of the top six? Ten Hag playing all of the top oh, yeah. six in his first. Oh, United get the shaft with scheduling. Is that good or bad for him? That's good. I think <clears throat> it's definitely bad. Like you can't say it's good. For United fans, he could prove himself. I think United are more win. likely to win those or, games way early in the himself. season. That's that's Sorry. a good point. So like he could Tottenham he could did it last season. Tottenham play awful against United. They could steal points against Chelsea. They could steal points against a couple other big clubs just off pedigree alone. Give a couple of those United players good performances. I'm saying you might be okay having played those guys as early as you. I I don't look at it like United are going to be buried the first couple energy of months. energy of a new season a new opportunity. It, I, think huge, I think it's a huge risk. That's just me though. Um, I think because he's a new manager, obviously he's going to have the summer to work out his tactics with this side, but you're going to want a couple games that give you confidence, you know, the likes of Southampton uh, right. against the likes of the newly promoted sides that maybe like, I'm not like full, I would say full or more so yeah, Liverpool because of their history coming play. up. So just playing those smaller league clubs, not to like disrespect them, but you can work out your tactics better against those sides. And uh, I think those are games that you can take advantage of and, and give your team confidence for when you play the top six. So I'd rather play the top six over the course of maybe, you know, from till December 
yeah, I wouldn't be so home. scared. But October, that's literally three months into the season. Does, and does there's United... already so much there's already so much pressure on Ten Hag. There's so much pressure on these players. Does the United now have, now fan base add the top six into the game into the mix for three first three months? Yeah. Does the United that's bad idea. Does the United fan base turn on him if he doesn't find success in the No, first I think 10? that would be extremely unfair. That's I gonna be the would... ultimate test for you guys too. Well, I, though, I think most United to keep fans your hopes high. Most United fans at this point are aware of what the problem is and it's the eleven on the field and finding the right eleven. That's why the, there's such such uh, outroar or outrage <laughs> and uproar against uh not signing Basuma because they understand that it they know how good Ten Hag is. That was the. I can't even believe you got Ten Hag. Even to this day, I'm like, I never thought that was going to go through. To be honest, I just didn't think they were going to do it. But again, we talk about the the beckoning hand of United, and they did. And now they have this guy here. So I don't think there's any world in which the United fans ever turn on Ten. Like it's at that point, you'd have to know it is the players, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think I think it would be so. I don't know, I'd be so arrogant of United fans to just be like, we need to get him out of the club because of the fact that he's losing the top. Imagine losing four out of the six games. I would not hold it against Ten Hag. I wouldn't. Like, you can't do that. This cl- like, that's the problem with the mentality is, like, we need to win. We need to be the successful club. Like, obviously, United needs to be a successful club, but we haven't been successful. So how can you expect success in an era when there hasn't been that much success? It's very unrealistic. Yeah. You need to give this man time. And it's, I guess, yeah, you're right. It's more so on the board. Are they going to stick with him? If they don't, then I have lost all faith within this club. Even more. Honestly, so. like if they sack this man after three months, which I don't think is going to happen, no. but if it had to happen, it would be, I think, I don't know how many United fans would probably give up yeah. on. Like, I think there would be uproar outside. Uh, the protests outside. would take place. The protests would be, yeah. yeah. We'd be having a couple of protest recap. That, podcast that, could episodes. Also, that could also be the silver lining in it all too, is like, we're 10 matches into the season. Like Ten Hag hasn't had enough time to stamp his style and his true football into the United side yet. So it not might even, be beneficial. Not to beat this drum because I'd like I, I understand that he takes a lot of flack, but like say Harry Maguire continues to play really poorly and they're they're hemorrhaging goals and the defense looks really bad. It's like you nobody in their right mind can blame Ten Hag at that point. Yeah, so there's plenty of scapegoats on that pitch. <laughs> It's like it's one thing that it's they are scapegoats at times, but it's like you've also like we've watched Terry Maguire defend for a whole season last year, and it's like on ice skates. It was I mean it was crazy. So it's tough to have a, a more I think downtrodden season than he has had. But yeah, I mean I I do think that they'll turn it around. I don't think United will go into August with no new signings. It's obviously they'll yeah. There's a lot of summer left, but it is players like Basuma. There's only so many of them available, and that's a big one that's off the market now, but. Any other rumors you guys have heard? Arsenal signed Marquinhos, right? That's right. Um, they also the wrong Marquinhos, not that Marquinhos, the other Marquinhos. Literally, like the young. What they pay like seven mil for? Yeah, him, I think three so. million. They signed. Did they sign it? Oh, they Vieira. There's a guy named Vieira. They signed from Porto today. Yeah, the Porto midfielder. He's yeah. he he He's had good. a phenomenal season. Yeah, and I think they're also. I don't know if they'd now still be linked with Tillemans. Obviously, Jesus is. I just the a midfield bag. pickup was weird. You got to get a striker and some defenders at Arsenal. That's it's clear as day. I don't know why there's a lot of midfields linked with them because they have midfielders. Saka still technically plays in the midfield, as does uh, EMS or ASR, as does uh, Odegaard. Yes, yeah, so it's they like for example, still. for context, to give uh, insight into Vieira's. Season last year, he played 27 matches at six goals and 14 assists. So, yeah, he definitely balled. a player looking to create 
not only with assists, but goals as well. And this is, we talked about this last year. We talked about Arsenal last year and their ability to sign players no matter what. I'm not saying that they're in a worse position than they were last year, but Arsenal are always this club that can like, like this is a player that's just under the radar, in my opinion, because I didn't really know too much about him. I don't watch Portuguese football. I should probably do my research more on the outside England and uh, in Liverpool Spain. were linked at one. So point. I think he's a player that definitely shows Arsenal's caliber still because clearly they they can sign players that have quality. It's just a matter if they can have quality in the Premier League. I guess the only question mark for Arsenal is where are they going to sign their defenders? Because I think that's still a big area left of uncertainty is like, you know, defensive ability. Uh, they conceded goals when they didn't need, when they, sh- they conceded ma- uh, goals in major moments, like challenging for top four. So I think the defensive like lapses that they go through are areas that they need to fix upon. And we had talked about mentality as well with Arsenal and their ability to just check out and just give up almost. But um, I mean, still a good signing. We're going to be a player that will be work- probably worked into the side. I'd say when start every game, there's still players like you said, Odegaard, uh, Emil Smith Rowe. Um, and so like, he's going to be fighting for a place, but good signing for Arsenal. And I'm sure they'll make more this summer. Yeah. I think that wraps up most of the rumors, at least. I'm aware. You know, who needs some new signings? If that was possible is team England. That's a team that <laughs> needs some, uh, <laughs> that needs a refreshing in a big way, pretty much top to bottom in terms of play style, I would say, but team England winless in four nations league matches. It was well, I think two draws, two losses. I believe that that's what it was. One thrashing. So and Most and recently. to to close things off with an absolute thromping for nothing by Hungary. Uh, a couple dicey managerial decisions being made, depending on who you asked. England just looked a team that never had any interest in winning, and I'm not sure if it it came off to me as like pompous that maybe they didn't put in the performance they think they needed to, or if it's just truly a state of of where they are right now as a club. But it's. Not looking good for what I mean for as as Americans we're like oh hell yeah like this yeah. team we can beat this team if we get them on on the bad day so and, and Wales Iran should be saying the same exact things it doesn't make sense to me I like how is this a team that went to on the, paper they the might have the best team in the world the you look yeah. at the team on paper of Team England and you the might depth. say I think this is the best team in the world best young talent. I think unequivocally in the world, absolutely by a significant margin. Many of them like play England's now, but second golden generation. Like you could name is... ten really good young players on that England team. You, it would be very easy to do. So, but to lose four games or to drop points or whatever in four Nations League games with no sense of an upward trend as we approach the World Cup, like England is not a team that handles pressure very well. They've obviously struggled in penalty shootouts. They finally got that nipped in the butt in the Euros. Um, but it might have been the last World Cup. I'm not sure. But it's like, why are you creating these questions? You can't just go out and beat some of these teams. Like, do, like you're England. What are you doing? I mean, it is common, I guess, for big nations to stumble. Like, even Italy has done it at times where they miss out on World Cups. But there's something on the line. You have You have something to play for. It's not even a sense of oh, like, we need to win these games, like, it's the Nations League, whatever, but it's a sense of, we are preparing, the pre- preparation for the World Cup starts now, we need to be playing our best football going into the World Cup, and we don't have that many more international periods leading up to the tournament to prove ourselves and figure out what's wrong. Like, now is the time, you can't push it off any longer. 
whether it's Southgate's tactics, I've never agreed with them because he has, as Tristan points out, some of the most ta- talented attacking players on the face of the planet, young talent as well, that they could just run at teams in relentless effort, play a very attractive style of football, make it very difficult for teams to even hold the ball, and yet he opts to relinquish the ball, play a tucked-in style, a counter-attacking style, which, look at the group, I don't think that's going to work. You play U.S., you play the U.S., you play Wales, you play Iran, those teams are going to sit in against you. You're England. These teams aren't going to come out and try to play on you. They're going to sit in. The U.S. is going to do it. They did it against Belgium in the last World Cup appearance when they, when Tim Howard had that outrageous performance with 16 saves or whatever. But that's what these teams are going to do. So what happens when you're now England? You don't play a style of football that you're used to in breaking down other teams, playing between the lines when you're the big, the big guy. Like, figure it out. Hold the ball your foot. Show some confidence. These guys are the best dudes in the world. Like, go play football. And it's going to be confusing for them when it's like, oh, shit, we have the ball at our foot. How are we supposed to, like, what do we cross it in? Like, give it right. to Trent. Give it to Reese. They'll whip it in. Maybe Kane gets his head on it. And we're going to watch a game where they whip 90 balls across and hope that they get on the end of one. But you have players that can play between the lines. Kane's one that can do that. He can drop deep. Check in. Check out. Foden's a player that'll be instrumental in breaking teams down. He does it for City all the time with his little tucked-in runs, his little slotted balls. Like Sterling even has elevated his game where he can do that. So Grealish as well, just you know. So I was just going to say, and picking, and picking up, picking up, uh, picking up yards and his dribbling ability, drawing fouls. Like those are key moments. Those are key um, things players need. And like you mentioned, like these are players. This is a golden generation for England. And I guess the only this is kind of an interesting take on it, but I guess if I was to play devil's advocate, you can look at this at like, you can kind of look at it like Italy, Italy were a team that didn't qualify, qualify for the world cup for the last two, this one coming up and the one before. Right. So, but they did make it to the Euro final. They did win the euros and there's question marks around their performances, obviously in the build up to major tournaments and qualification. Could you see that potentially happening with England? Italy, Italy, I have trust that they can defend and play at a really high level due to the experience in their team. England, the way that they play, their defense always seems unsteady. You like Harry Maguire is your leader of the back line. John Stones, another shaky center back. Like, let, let me let me ask you to this: Who would you rather be a fan of right now, Italy or England? And think about that for a second, because yeah, Italy have really underachieved, and it's not good times right now, missing out on the World Cup. They won Euros, and England haven't won something in a very long time, and they've had that expectation. They're starting to be known as a, an underachieving club. We talked about this. I wrote about this in the in the Howler's Journal. Like that was one of the things that Co- country just gonna country. Yeah, like, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Country, Sorry, my bad. Um, but in terms of like who you think, who would you be prouder of to be a fan of right now, Italy or England? Would you rather be sitting on a Euro victory, one of the most memorable in club history, and just be bummed about missing the World Cup, or would you rather be that? heavily talented team that just never can quite seem to get things right and is right now i should be very nervous in their group honestly i'm not just even just saying that that's that's a a good question question. because i honestly like don't know because in the moment like if you're italy you have a history of winning world cups you have a history of winning um you'll be back international international tournaments and just being you know a a high caliber country and in those in those competitions so yeah i think 
I don't know. I don't know. I think you'd have to wait and see until after the World Cup to make a decision in terms of like uh, if, so if you think it about now, it, you know what I mean? Like that's the point. Like who I think truly if you're like, oh, I have to pick an affiliation right now to a club to a country. I guess I guess I pick Italy. Like I guess I'd pick Italy. That's where I'd be leaning. I mean, England have all the talent and, and that you could ever that you could ever ask for as a manager. They have all the talent in every position you could ever possibly imagine having in a national team, but they don't have the experience. And it seems like in times when they really need it, they don't have the composure. They don't have the we need to get this done. Yeah. They're just missing that sort of factor. And Italy will always have that because they've won World Cups, they've won Euros, right. they know what it means and what it's like. So, yeah, imagine imagine if Italy was in this World Cup. I feel like. You'd be terrified of them. They would be, they'd be England, the group. They'd yeah. be England eight out of ten times. Yeah, I think so yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really depends what your mindset is. If you're an optimistic fan, I think you prefer to be an England supporter because you're playing in the tournament and you have this plethora of talent. But if you're a dismal fan, which I think a lot of England fans are, and they're getting impatient, it's going to be like. Some people might not even be fo- looking forward to watching this team play. In the They're group. just nervous. They're like, why am I scared of a group I'm in with Iran, USA, and Wales? Why am I nervous about dropping points to all three of these countries, Like, which could easily happen? So it's a good question. Tough honestly. times. Uh, the Southgate pack his bags. It's not, I mean, no, 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 no. I don't no. think so either. And it's, it's, it's the media. You could Spicing spend time, things up. Yeah. Southgate probably needs to make some, some changes and maybe he's even a little too set in his ways. Sometimes coaches, I think it's set in their ways and they aren't willing to bend. And I know from a purism standpoint, a lot of football fans think, no, you, you coach the way you coach and it always stays that way. But I, I think the game has changed enough to where you start to need to make little adjustments. And when coaches don't do that and it doesn't work out, I mean, the, it's like with Mourinho yeah. at Spurs, you know, like look at Biesla. Exactly, like, exact. That's a perfect example. So oh, it's so frustrating, and it's like you don't even have to change your style that much. These players that we just listed off are all willing to play both sides of the ball. It's not like you're in some side where you have like Hazard and these like lackadaisical, only wanting to attack players. Like Sterling plays both sides of the ball. Grealish, Sancho, Sancho will drop deep. All these guys are willing to play both sides of the ball, so just pull out of your shell a Grealish, little bit. Grealish should alone be a player enough to beat you. Like when, a day after Thanksgiving, it, it would not be surprising to anyone if we're looking back going, oh yeah, that day Grealish just destroyed Team USA. Like he just ran up and down the field. He dictated the whole game. He scored, had a goal and an assist. Like, there's no reason that shouldn't happen, and there's like 10 guys on that England team you could slate into that. Like, Sterling should eat, absolutely clean up in this World Cup group, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? That's a yeah. If well, Southgate does fail in this World Cup, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Even, yes. if, even if he goes deep, this is weird chalking it up at work, but we were talking. I, I, it's I, said, like, I said this. Even said if, this. yeah, it might have been Andrew. I don't remember who. But even if he goes deep, say he goes semifinal, if he doesn't get to the final, it might be like, okay, similar to what the Bruins did. They went to the playoffs. They won playoff series, but yeah. they never found the silverware with a really good team. If Southgate doesn't get to that point, it might be like, we have to do something different at this point. Otherwise, we're missing our clearest opportunity with the. Some and that's four years. That okay, now had. four years. Now Sterling's probably gone. Kane, you don't know what happens to Kane in four years. Four years a long time, you think about it, in footballer's career. Aguirre so probably won't exist. Aguirre <laughs> might not even make this World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, yeah, a lot of reasons to be shaky. And if you're, uh, if you're Iranian, if you're American, if you're Welsh, you should be pretty pumped coming this, this yeah. fall. So. I'm getting more and more excited. Yeah, it might yeah. be coming home. To Iran. (laughs) 
Yeah, wherever it might go. And you see why the rest of the world gets kind of like, Ugh, when it comes to England football, because they're like, <laughs> it's coming home, and they don't make it out of the World Cup group. They're going to be like in the streets and everything. <laughs> yeah, not the country you want to be out in the streets drinking really angry. Um, <laughs> hopefully that works out for everybody involved. But, Connor, you wanted to do a little bit of a... a maybe slightly in-depth analysis on the Liverpool scouting, which we talked about with Nunez and a bit about other players. But Yeah, we definitely touched on it a bit, um, but I did want to do a little bit of a deeper dive because it was stuff that... As Andrew, was, I'm with you, brother. I don't want to talk about Liverpool either, but it's part of the I, podcast. I turn and, off my, my headphones yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is a little cooler because it's yeah. like kind of no, the I'm back kidding, end kidding, kidding. and like how business gets done. Is, cool is it's, a strong word, but... <laughs> well... United I'm cool, needs, okay. Andrew needs to tune his hearing aid up, turn his hearing aid up so he can walk into the locker, uh, the United boardroom and be like, all right, boys, this is what we're doing. Um, but yeah, so as of late, the man that holds the skeleton key in Liverpool's most recent big signings, Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunez, um, goes by the name of Julian Ward. This guy has recently stepped in to the chief recruiting position at Liverpool, and he's been there for 10 years. So he was, his predecessor um, was Michael Edwards. He was the one that was credited for finding the talents of Sadio, Salah, transformative players for this Liverpool team. Um, But he officially, Michael Edwards leaves officially in August. So there's been the passing of the torch um, Julian Ward acted as his like assistant for the last like year and a half and now has kind of been calling the shots. But basically, who is he? Who is Julian Ward? He arrived, as I mentioned, at the club 10 years ago, and he was actually plucked off of Manchester City. So at the time, before Liverpool picked him up, he Ooh. was the South American scouting strategist at Manchester City. Um, and at that time, he also was a part of Kierzos, the Portuguese... I might be butchering that name because... I only wrote like three letters down. <laughs> I can't read the other three. Oh, you know what call the Portuguese name? Uh, but crazy. he was the manager in 20, I want to say 10, 11, when obviously a Portuguese side loaded in talent. And that's when Julian Ward really started to build up his network and relationships in that region of the world of football. And through that, um, he also with working and speaking with a lot of these Portuguese players, he got in touch with Jorge Mendez, who is one of the leading Portuguese player agents in the country. He is the head slash leader of a like recruitment company. It's called Gestifut. G E S T I F U T E the accent I'm missing entirely. I probably sound super American, but this is the guy that has his hand in a lot of the deals that go down in Portugal. Um, so then at Liverpool ward, he, he has since moved up through the ranks after um, he came in, he was tasked with spotting talent in both Portugal and Spain. Obviously he has loads of history in those areas based on his national team experience on that staff. And then he moved into a loan pathways role. So he worked with a lot of young players 
because as players go in and out on loan, it's a lot of young talent, and you get to build relationships with a lot of agents. So a lot of football agents, you're talking to them consistently. Um, and then he has eventually moved up into the recruitment chief at Liverpool, which is now where he's taken charge and he's getting huge deals across the line. Um, and it makes sense. So as Liverpool dipped their hand in this Portuguese talent pool, it's something that I think has established itself in the Premier League, especially over the last, what, two, two, three seasons. You have names like Bruno Fernandes, Ederson, um, Ruben Diaz, Jao Felix, Ruben Neves, Militao. These are all players and latest broke onto the scene. Luis Diaz, that's someone who Julian Ward, Ward worked on getting that deal across the line. So he has his networks, his fingers out there, feeling everything out, and he has a say in all these deals. As you look at the Luis Diaz deal, this is kind of interesting. That guy, Jorge Mendez, actually had his allegiance to Spurs. So he was the guy that was supposed to get the deal across the line for Spurs, but Mm. due to Ward's communications and communication channels... I knew worst enemy. He got ear... He was within earshot, and he understood that Spurs is trying to make a move this winter. Liverpool wasn't planning to make a move for Diaz until the summer. But him hearing that, obviously, Liverpool put their foot in the pot, and they, they pull back Diaz, and Spurs miss out. So he's really been doing his due diligence. Looking forward, there's two more Portuguese targets that he's hoping to bring aboard. Both are midfielders. One is Vitinha, which might ring a bell to both of you. He played at Wolves last season. Um, or two seasons ago, he was on loan. Wolves did not trigger the clause to buy. I think it was for like seventeen million because he really didn't perform all that all that well. But since leaving Wolves, returning to his host club of Porto, he's been playing phenomenally. So that's a player to watch that Liverpool might be bringing aboard. Another one is Matthias Nunez, who's a player being headhunted by Manchester City right now. So, but that having that connection of Julian Ward might allow us to edge out City in a deal for who Pep stated was one of the best midfielders in the world right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. It's cool to hear all those things. The behind the scenes stuff we don't really get that much intel into because the the intel that we do get is still distributed by like the club or like journalists, and they only know mm-hmm. so much as well. So. When you can kind of see how how the sausage is made, and in terms of like the Liverpool sausage, it's been a pretty successful prize-winning sausage. So uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see who is you know who really pulls the strings and how these things happen. And the fact that the Spurs were so close to having no competition to signing Diaz to one good call being made, and that really is it. That's what that's where success comes from. Money can buy you really good players, but. We've we can we every year we see the list of, of clubs who have spent the most money on players and the top five like haven't always won trophies in the last few seasons. So mm-hmm. it's some of them have because of where they play. But I mean, in terms of in terms of money spent, there is still some silver lining that there's more that goes into winning football games than just spending the most money. And it's I like hearing stories like this. I hate Liverpool more than as much or more than any fan out there. But when it comes to stuff like this, it's like it's a tip of the cap. There's a reason that they've won that much and. God it's not because they break guys. out their wallet, but yeah. it shows the success in the, the, like you said, the what a club needs to be successful is the right people in place to let to make deals go over the line, not just for big names, but for the right players that can fit the mold of the club itself and what their initiatives are in terms of success and what they're look, hoping to achieve. So, um, 
No, I think me being a United fan, I fucking hate Liverpool. But you cannot. You can relate, yeah. You can't not hate on what they do in terms of business, in terms of recruitment, in terms of you know developing right. players. They're successful. Yeah. So. And there was doubt surrounding this, perhaps because Liverpool were losing Mike Edwards, and it's like who's going to take, who's going to fill that role? And they had teed it up so far in advance that it's something that Klopp Compton on. It's going to be a seamless transition, and then. On top of that, Klopp signs an extension at this point. That is something that's going to fly under the radar. That was huge for Julian Ward to make these splashes because now he knows that the talents that he brings in, the where the potential is there, Klopp is going to be the coach developing these guys. There's a lot more that goes into it too. Statistics, they want guys scoring like one and three goals. There's a lot of statistics that go into it, but this is just more the frameworks of who that money lead ball. guy is. Yeah, it's, it's the old I money ball like, tactics. So Klopp has been beloved everywhere he goes. I don't think even his best days at Dortmund even remotely hail in comparison to his best days at Liverpool. I mean, that is like, right, that's without a doubt. When people remember Jurgen Klopp, they'll think of his days at Liverpool, coaching Mo, coaching mm-hmm. Mane. I know he's had a career before this, and and he's had success in a career before this, but I have to think, like, even when he leaves his position as manager, which will definitely not be a sacking, it will. Be, I think he could retain some sort of front office role where he's still very hands on in that club. I don't. I think I could see him fitting in very well in some sort of like scouting or like front office role. He's very good with people too. He markets right. the club very well. So if I'm, he if he has the energy to do so, I wouldn't be shocked by that. I could um, also see him retiring to a gorgeous German countryside with his wife, sipping just because he like yeah, he, obviously we day. all hear his transparent take on life and he's here to enjoy it. And yeah. So right. maybe when he's out, he's out. But if not. He's a very marketable and reputable guy. Worked with, even at Dortmund, he worked with Lewandowski. He worked with the best players that took the top by storm. Right. Um, So, yeah, a lot going on. Even Fabio, what was it, Vieira, the guy that Arsenal signed? Like, these Portuguese players, there's more than just the Liverpool Portuguese players, but... These are all guys that it's like... That's a market right there. The, every club is, should be looking to Portugal in terms of getting players. Cause, and every club should be sending their top scouts there yeah. because you need the networks to get deals done. Wung Jung Son is Hyung Min Son's father. And he's made several waves in the uh, both the South Korean media, the English media the past few weeks. And some of the comments he's made about his son, Hyung Min Son, and his career at Spurs. I think this was just a great, this is a great example of completely lost in translation. Here's the comment, basically. He said he must be able to, not basically, this is verbatim exactly what he said. So this is the comment. He must be able to play a solid role in one of the world's top clubs. That when he will become, that's when he will become a world-class player. Like I said before, he must do 10% better on every front to reach that goal. I think what the most panic sanction of fans thought was that's a father telling his son he needs to, try to find greener pastures where he's more likely to win silverware and he'll be held in that category. I think what he actually meant was because he is a South Korean player, a lot of Asian players don't always get the respect that they should having that success. I think what his dad is saying is it would help if he played for a club like Bayern or a club like even City or Liverpool and he could get, I will not call them automatic votes because that that pulls success away from players who have worked hard to earn it and have earned it. But I don't think it's any secret like the an award that went to Mane this season probably should have gone to Son, and I think most people were in agreement of that, or at least could understand how that could be a, a thing. But mm. 
I think this is just completely lost in translation. It did uh, make waves, mostly among Spurs fans who were like, don't tell him to leave. But what I think it was, was honestly him just saying it's tougher to get those, to to get those awards playing for Spurs, which is still even amongst all big clubs. It's still a smaller market club. I think amongst the giants. What do you guys think about that? So Connor and I had a a pod that we did a while back um, about a month and a half ago, I'd say. And I, I brought up Son. I brought up, um, the fact that he need, he might need to leave Spurs just to get the recognition that he deserves. Maybe not, no, maybe not the recognition, but to win the things that he can win with his product, his productivity, and as well as his quality, you know, on the ball. So, I think if Son wants to find quick success, yes, he should leave. He should go to greener pastures at a bigger club. But does that? I don't think it's it's tricky. I. He could stay at Spurs and he could end his career there or end a chunk of his like prime years there and, and get then get the recognition that he deserves based off like his father saying like production rate, um, goal scoring rate, stuff like that. So it could continuing that trend. But um, no, I think I think Son should leave if he wants to win trophies just because it's not guaranteed at Spurs because there hasn't been a trophy won in a long time. And they are a club looking. We talk about England like as a country. Like Spurs are f- trying to find that as a club in terms of success. They get they've gotten themselves to a few finals recently, and they haven't attained it. Not saying Conte can't do that. I think he has the right. I think this is the best. This is the most potential Spurs has. No, had I, I get what you're saying. S- since Poch, so it's a matter of if he, if he wants to risk that or go somewhere else. I think it's totally up to. I, I think Son will stay, and I think his, his character, his character will not allow him to, to betray the Spurs faithful. So. Um, yeah, I think his father is right in terms of going to another club, but I don't think he means he needs to like hundred percent do it. Like you mentioned, like it's not, it gets lost in translation that he just needs to yeah. leave and that's it. The, you know what I mean? The directness of the statement is what I take issue with because I think if you walk up and ask 90% of football fans right now, after the season that Huming song just had, they would say he's a world class player. I don't think the club that you play at necessarily is the tell-all of if you are a world-class player or not. Kane has fought that battle for many, many years. Sony, or Spurs is not some like tiny little club. Like It's not like he's Grealish playing at Villa. Not that Villa is a small club, but like Spurs sits at the top of the Premier League. They have they made a Champions League run. Like They do enough where that it puts you in the conversation, there will always be the doubts. Maybe the question is more around, did Son have a world-class career? But if you ask if he's a world-class player, yes, he is. He is yeah. probably one of the most talented wingers in world football. And I think, That was my point. That was my point uh, from a few episodes ago. Right. I, I made the statement that Son is a world-class player. He does not get the recognition that he deserves. And... I think it's fair to Tristan's point that a lot of Asian players that come over to the Premier League kind of don't really get the respect that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's only until later when a lot of a lot of like fans, or I maybe mean not fans, but the uh, popular audience are like, you know, maybe you know, back then he was a great player. We just didn't really give him the credit. Everyone's like, oh, back then he didn't get the credit he deserved. Yeah. How about giving him the credit he deserves in the moment and not waiting ten years to finally say he did it. Yeah. You know I mean? So here's here's my biggest problem with the son should leave argument. This is my biggest problem. He, by being a player who comes from South Korea and being uh, 
in the classification of Asian footballer is already the fact that he's in a sort of a very niche class of footballer where not a lot of really big profile footballers have come out of Asia. I mean, we bring up uh, Ji Sung Park, who's the former United great, um, and he had a great career with United as well. But I guess what's up for, I, I don't know, again, to, to hone in on the point, like I just, he's so much more than a, a good Premier League goal scoring winger. Like we talk about how he's like the number one most popular athlete, athlete in South Korea. Mm-hmm. He brings so much money, a money, a number that probably hasn't been invented yet to like, and, and funds for Spurs. So many fans at the game are come from South Korea to watch him play. They're Spurs fans because he plays for the club. I mean, it's such an immeasurable amount of good he brings to the club. And I truly think, having seen him for so long, and I'm probably biased and you should never put any type of player on a pedestal, but he's the one athlete of, of every athlete I've ever supported and liked, even from like being a very little kid in short pants. Like, he is the only one I would actually bother to call a role model to like young footballers. He's mm-hmm. loyal. Try Google till your fingers bleed. You'll never find him having said or done anything even remotely wrong. Lives a quiet life, lives a private life. He works hard. He plays in every position that the coach asks him to. He makes an effort of that. All, all you can find of him are English quotes of him being like, Honestly, I think whenever I go to a country, I smile at someone and they smile back. And that's how I feel like the world should be. Every single quote is just some uh, incredibly uh, great take on humanity. And I, and I do think, I think silverware means a lot to him. I don't think it's at the top of his list in terms of importance in his career. I truly don't believe that to be true. I think if he, le- if he plays at Spurs' his career, if he leaves Spurs, having been in the top five in, in terms of like players most adored and also successful because of how many goals he scored and how all the accolades he has in terms of a goal score. Honestly, I think that would, that would mean the world to him. He's already, his legacy is already kind of solidified as like one of Spurs most beloved player ever. One of their best players ever. Mm-hmm. The maybe the best Asian football ever, the highest scoring Asian goal scorer, the most expensive Asian player. So I just, I don't know in terms of what else he wants to go get, I think trophies would just be like an extra thing for him. Something yeah. he could just say, and I won this, yeah. and I won this, in terms of literally being the most influential Asian footballer to have ever played the game. And I think he has that bit of personal perspective that you touch on. Like He understands that he's playing football for the love of the game and that he is an extremely privileged individual to be doing that. There's other players that come to mind. Yes, they might have the backing of trophies, but Mark Noble is another player similar yeah, to Sonic's like, like Conte. N'Golo Conte is a player that I think of if you had to group someone with Son, he's a guy. Another player is Salah. I'm gonna sound like a Liverpool asshole, but Sadio Mano. Those are people that bring entire nations together. Like the influence that Salah has bringing Egyptian fans and African right. fans to very the Premier similar. League is like and again, another a very humble guy. And I think if you take any of those players' trophies away, N'Golo Conte has a full-ass cabinet. Salah, Sadio, if there's any other players that come to mind, please. I get uh, trophies are big, but like, and, and I'm a Spurs fan. But like, of, you take that out of any of those guys. Still great careers, I, I all think, of them. I think they're still some of the most influential footballers that we've ever legends, seen. Legends, living legends. They'll never die. They'll yeah. die someday, but the, the stories of them will never, ever die. And, They'll go on for generations. And in an era of football that has already been, been so transformed. Like, at this stage, the level 
of monetization in the game, the level of influence. These are players that haven't changed a bit. They stay true to who they are, and they're still, like with how publicized the game is, bringing entire countries together. Like that's something that there's a literally point zero zero one percent of footballers have the pull to do. So yes, there are more measurables outside of trophies. It would help if he got them. Um, but I mean, he's a talent. Maybe it's his dad just trying to keep him humble and wanting him to always push and strive for more success or a bit of a power father, son power complex. Who knows? Um, but we hope that it's obviously the statements made in the best interest of his quote unquote son <laughs> in the club. Uh, I don't know what's being cooked in that kitchen, but man, it's distractingly <laughs> smells amazing. Uh, to close things out, we do have a, some more fun, some more lighthearted news, especially if you live in the 617. Some big news coming fresh out of the kitchen today, this morning, Boston, and more specifically Gillette Stadium, selected as one of the locations to host a 2026 World Cup game, which is and, and which is big. For, us, for me, uh, you know, Southern New Yorker, Long Island, um, that we'll be playing in New York slash New Jersey. So I'm assuming MetLife Stadium. Yeah, no doubt. Very exciting. I can read the list right now in terms of all of North America. Rip it up. It's being played at. So we have Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Guadalajara, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Mexico City, Miami, Monterey, uh, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Bay Area, Seattle, Toronto, and Vancouver. Yeah, so. a couple kind of interesting shouts on there. But I mean... I'd like, okay, so as we've all lived in Boston for quite some time now, I mean, not the easiest city to navigate via car. So you have to imagine that it's going to be a bit, conge- down, yeah, it's gonna get a bit congested. And to, none of these, like not, not all of these cities are massive cities. I, I might add Los Angeles well, like, is expansive yeah, city, like, right? Gillette, Gillette is like not even in Boston. Like it's not it's like, it's like 50, 40 minutes, 45 minutes South of Boston, you'd say with traffic and there'll be traffic actually more than that. So Without traffic, like 40 minutes, and then with traffic, people trying to go to the stadium, oh, my God, the nightmare that will be uh, getting there. You would have to but, figure that our infrastructure, though, and to, compared to the likes of other countries that it's been hosted in, should be able to withstand it. And the fact that we're such a large nation that it is going to be fairly spread out. Like For sure. Fans yeah. that are in Boston, they won't be able to go to Kansas City, probably won't even be able to go to Philadelphia or New York just because of how much of a pain in the – whatever you want to call it, it is like Andrew knows how big of an inconvenience it is to go from Boston to New York. Yeah, like he's, it's he's no had fun. a commute. Um, I always, but. and I always feel like watching other world cups. I feel like the, the mouth breather who's like, Oh, it's in Africa. All the stadiums are within like an hour of each other. And all these teams are having some big party in the same, like, no, like it's very, very spread out. And this is a, this for a lot of viewers will be a sort of a good look at how these things are actually run and how massive an event this actually is. I mean, Maybe sports' biggest trophy in terms of setup. The Olympics is also up there as well. But the build-up leading up to this, I mean, it's good that Gillette Stadium already exists, so there's no stadiums that need to be built. But I'd have to think, I mean, even now there's massive planning committees. Like, this is probably a very long yeah. night tonight for many people working on this World Cup campaign. That what are like cr- already World Cup is it for? 2026. 2026. The next World Cup. So it seems like a long way away now. But, I mean, in terms of, like, 
getting the mass amounts of people to this city. And that's going to, I mean, outside of football, think about how much this will uplift, like Boston bars, restaurant scenes, like Faneuil Hall, Quincy Market. about to be the richest place. We Joe's, that line's about to be around the block. We better get in line now for bars if we want to go out World Cup weekend. But still only be letting two people in. Yeah. We're going to a game. We're going to the game. Oh, absolutely. I'll liquidate my assets if it means I need to go to a game. I think it's also going to take the world by storm. Mark, four, four years in advance, there's going to be a lot of changes that occur yeah. with American football until, or soccer until then. But Especially I think if they're the, successful this World the, Cup, right? The globe is going to be absolutely shocked to the level of support that the American people will bring to the world of football. Like, it is going to be, people's minds are going to be blown. They, the jokes will always, they'll be there always and forever. But, like... The number of fans we see it even with MLS teams now, like there are bands of people showing up to these games with drums. They're beating the like, it's it's a transformation that's occurring, and in four years, it's going to be full fledged chaos. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. It'll be an absolute uh, logistical nightmare. Probably going to create massive obstacles in getting to and from work, but. Hey man, if USA is not we'll going to be interviewing post match, we'll, we'll, we, you bet your ass will be on that sideline sticking a mic in Pulisic's face and an aged veteran Pulisic's face, by the way, too. Gray in his beard. Yeah, by that point, he'll be literally a veteran in Captain America. But I mean, that's pretty much it, guys. We got, I think, that some. Uh, yeah, that, that Andrew, pre- you want to close out via Zoom or? No, you can do it. I'm not. Gonna I don't. Do what do you mean? Do you, I can do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what you say. I plug out at this point. I take my headphones off. I'm halfway out the door at this point. I gotta make sure I don't but turn yeah, my own uh, mic we'll home or down. Be sure to uh, check it out. The Howlers Podcast on all our social media platforms: Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch. Uh, check out Instagram. All of our streaming platforms there: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. And we'll see you guys very, very soon. Bye bye.